Thank you for being with us today. We would love to have you join us in person. To partner with us or to give online, go to www.upperroomohio.com. We hope you enjoy this message. Thanks, Tiana. I grabbed this table because I have too much stuff, and uh, it's a little easier to lay it out and see it, particularly when I have to get my bifocals lined up, so that's, a, that's good news. Pleasure to be with you this morning. Uh, if you are new to us, my name is Steve Justice. I'm not one of the pastors here. The pastors are actually gone today on a retreat, and they left a lawyer in charge, so I leave that to you to figure out. We'll see, Okay. This morning, I'm going to talk to you about the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel message, the good news concerning Jesus Christ, is the power of God for the salvation of everyone, everyone who has faith in Jesus Christ. Now, this may seem like a settled and accepted concept or doctrine to many of you, but that certainly was not the case in the early church and for much of the world in which we live today. What does it mean to be a Christian? Who can be a Christian? How can a person be saved from their sin. In these turbulent times where the Christian faith is under increasing attack and where each day seems to bring more shocking and saddening news, we must be vigilant through the power of the Holy Spirit to know the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ to preach the gospel, to teach the gospel, and to live the gospel for a world that desperately needs the good news that only Jesus can bring. At the same time, though, we must be determined not to distort the gospel, not to add to it, and not to take away from it. For we cannot add to the completed work of Jesus Christ, and we dare not take away from it. Turn with me, if you will, to our text for today. In Paul's letter to the Galatians, chapter 2, verses 11 to 16. I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. I think we have the New International Version, or will in a moment on the screen. I'm pretty sure they're going to say the same thing, or close to it. But when Kepha came to Antioch, say the word Kepha for me, Kepha. It looks like Cephas in your Bible, but actually... Peter's name, this is, this is Peter, one of Peter's names, his, his given name was Simon, 
But Jesus and the other disciples spoke Aramaic, and so Jesus named him Rocky along the way, the rock. And the Aramaic term for that is kepha. And when it gets transliterated into Greek, it looks like Cephas. They both mean rock. The Greek term is actually Petros, so we call him Peter. So Peter's got a lot of names. Simon, Kepha, Peter. He's even called Simeon in certain places in the New Testament. But when Kepha came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Kepha before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like the Gentiles and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one, no one will be justified. It was A.D. 48, about 15 years after Christ had been crucified on a cross and raised from the dead, when Paul writes this letter to the churches in a region called Galatia, which is today in the southern part of modern Turkey. Two years earlier than that, around 46 A.D., when he was about 40 years old, Paul had set out on his first, his very first missionary journey from Antioch, a very prominent city in the Roman Empire, with Barnabas to begin a journey to the region of Galatia to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, you can read all about the details of his first missionary journey in Acts chapter 13 and 14. We're not going to read through that today, but suffice it to say that he started in his journey by reaching out to the Jews in the synagogues wherever he went. And when they rejected him, he systematically would then go to the Gentiles in that area. The Gentiles are people who are not Jews. Anyone who is not a Jew is a Gentile. Do we have any, any Jews by birth here today? Any Jews? You are all now designated a part of the club of the Gentiles. You're all Gentiles. He started preaching to the Gentiles, the non-Jews, and he tells them about Jesus. He tells them about Jesus' death on the cross. He, he tells them about Jesus' resurrection from the dead and, and that they can be forgiven of their sins and receive eternal life by believing in Jesus. Now, many of them responded favorably to that message and, and believed in Jesus Christ and 
the book of Acts tells us that they were filled with the Holy Spirit as soon as they expressed their faith in Jesus. And as a result, God performed many miraculous signs and wonders through the hands of the apostles Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. On the island of Cyprus, a magician opposed them. And Paul literally called on the name of God to blind him to stop that opposition, and he was made blind on the spot. The scriptures thereafter say that, that, that the leader of the town believed. Yeah. Whoa. Later, he went into another town in Galatia, and there was a man who had been lame, unable to walk from birth, and Paul, Paul laid his hands on him and prayed for him, and this man stood up and walked in the power and the name of Jesus Christ. The town members were so amazed that they thought he was one of the Greek gods, and Barnabas as well. So they called Barnabas Zeus, and they called him Hermes because he was the one that talked all the time. And so they decided they were going to offer sacrifices to them, and Paul's like ripping his clothes, and you know he was just saying this, oy vey, oh, you know, he was, what are you doing? I'm a man like you. I'm not a god. But what you've seen is the power of the risen Lord to the Holy Spirit, raising up those who are lame. It was an amazing journey. It lasted one and a half years. And after completing his first missionary journey, Paul comes back to the city from which he was launched, Antioch. Now, Antioch is today on the very bottom southern edge of Turkey on the border of Syria. But in that time, it was, a, it was an amazing city. A quarter of a million people lived in Antioch. It had a large Jewish population. And it had a large Christian population. It was the place, the scriptures tell us, where, where Christians were first called Christians. Prior to that time, they had been called the way. But they were called Christians in Antioch. So he comes back to Antioch. And, and, and after he had finished his missionary journey. And shortly after he returns, he receives some disturbing news. He's told that after he left Galatia... Other Jewish Christian teachers came into the churches that he had just planted, and they did two things. One, they challenged his apostolic authority. They said, he's not one of the, the original apostles. He wasn't handpicked by Jesus. This Paul may be persuasive, but he's not truly an apostle. But the second thing they did it was even more devastating is they told the Gentile believers that in addition to placing their faith in Jesus Christ for their salvation, they also had to follow the Jewish law in order to be in right relationship with God. Now, that meant that the males, the Gentile males, had to be circumcised. And it meant that they had to follow the Jewish dietary laws. Now, I don't know if you've looked at the Jewish dietary laws lately as part of your regular diet plan, but if you go to Leviticus chapter 11, you will see the dietary restrictions that were imposed on the Jews. It, with respect to the walking land animals, they could only eat animals that had a cloven hoof. In other words, they had to have two functional toes. And... Animals that chewed the cud. It had to be both. Had to have a cloven hoof and had to chew the cud. So that meant that uh, they could eat sheep, 
They could eat goats. They could eat cattle. But they could not eat horses. And you're thinking, oh, I'm not laying awake if I'd eat no horse. Anyways, they, they, they couldn't eat camels. Ah, oh, geez, I don't want to eat a camel. Anyway, okay, they couldn't eat rabbits. Oh, we're getting a little closer to home. But, and they couldn't eat pigs. Now, that's just flat-out meddling. I mean, you know, we're not talking any short baby back ribs. We're not talking any ham. We're not talking any pulled pork. And most importantly, we're not talking about bacon. Now, bake, not eating bacon is just un-American, right? I mean, bacon goes good with anything. They even put it in toothpaste these days. You know that? Ice cream, bacon. None of that for the Jewish people. You see, we, we laugh about that today, but it was very, very serious. Because in Paul's mind, when he heard this, he was irate. And it led to this very letter that we're looking at. It was his first letter that he wrote in the New Testament, the letter to the Galatians. So what does he say? Well, let's look. Turn to Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 to 9. Here's what Paul says. He says, I'm astonished, he's talking to the Galatians, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Now listen to this. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we've said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. You don't get much stronger language than this. I mean, you'd almost have to lapse into cussing from the pulpit in order to get what Paul is saying in the Greek here. Do not distort the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is only about faith in Jesus Christ. And there are very serious reasons for that. We're going to talk about it now, but it's only through faith. You cannot add to it. It is not a gospel plus mindset. There is no plus to the gospel. There's nothing we can do to contribute to what Christ has done for us on the cross. Nothing. You dare not add to it. You dare not take away from it. You dare not distort it. Why? Why does he say this? Well, let's read on. Verse 11. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, Paul is saying the first reason why you should listen to what I'm telling you about not distorting the gospel message is because the message that I'm telling you came directly from Jesus Christ. It was revealed. It was a direct download. Let's talk in internet terms, shall we? It was a direct download. It didn't come through any other proxy server, baby. It was straight from him. Straight from him. I didn't get it from any other man. I didn't go to school to be taught. I didn't take an online course. I didn't read tea leaves or look at smoke signals. Jesus 
directly told me this message, which I conveyed to you. You can be saved through faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. The second thing that he says is if you don't, if you don't believe that, then believe this. Look, look, look at verses 13. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. I'm in verse 13, now 14. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born, you got to circle that. Set me apart before I was born. That's another message. Can't preach that right now. Skip me by that. But you got to go back and think about it. He who set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. That's good news for us. We're all in that club. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Let's stop right there. Paul saying, listen, if you don't believe this, this was directly revealed to me, then, then you have to think about me for a second. I am the last person that you would imagine that would ever come to anybody and say, you can be saved, you can be in right relationship with God merely by faith in Christ, and you do not have to observe the works of the law. You do not have to observe the Jewish dietary laws. You do not have to be circumcised. I am the last person you would expect to ever say that because I have spent my entire life, my entire life, learning to be a zealous follower of the Jewish law. He was born in Tarsus, a Roman colony. Dual citizenship, both Roman and Jewish. But at a young age, he was brought to Jerusalem because of his brilliance. And he, he was taught by the leading Jewish theologian of the day, Gamaliel. He was a star. This guy was amazing. But he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. And when Jesus was crucified, he believed that this sect this Jewish sect they called the way was perverting the, the law of Moses. And so he set out with a vengeance because that's the only way this guy lived. 150% of whatever he did, he set out to persecute the church, and that's what he did. He stood there in the first year, and when they stoned Stephen and held the cloaks of those who were killing Stephen... He then goes throughout the synagogues in Jerusalem. He drags off men and women and puts them in prison. He then goes to the Jewish leaders and he says, listen, give me permission to go to Damascus. I want to go to Damascus because there are synagogues up there, and I hear that there are, there, there are members of the way there. I'm going to go up there. I'm going to chain them. I'm going to bring them back and put them in prison. Give me permission. They give him permission, and he goes on his way to Damascus. And just as he approaches that city, God blows him Right there. A bright light shines around him, knocks him to the ground, and he hears a voice saying, Saul, because his name, Jewish name is Saul. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And when he rose, he was, he was blind. He could not see. 
He's led into Damascus where for three days he does not eat or drink. Can you imagine the turmoil? His whole life has been on one path to be the leading Pharisee, to be a great Jewish teacher. And he's been out persecuting the way. And God says, no. No. I'm, I'm doing this. You're fighting against me. After three days, a man named Ananias comes to him and prays for him, and fish scales fall off his, his eyes, and Ananias says, Paul, Paul, you have been called to be God's messenger to the Gentiles. To the Gentiles? Yes, to the Gentiles, to those Gentile sinners, to those unclean. You've been called to go there, for they are God's people too. Paul gets up, and immediately he's baptized. Immediately. And immediately he begins to preach. This man's like the ever-ready bunny. I mean, he, he doesn't know any other way. He's, he's now been directly handpicked by Jesus Christ to be his messenger to the Gentiles. And immediately he begins to preach. And he's preaching in Damascus. And then he goes off into Arabia, which is a desert to the east of Damascus. And he spends three years in that region preaching the good news of Jesus Christ to the point that the Jews are sick of him. So sick of him that they scheme to kill him. And when the disciples there find out about it, they have to let him down through a basket at night over the wall. And Barnabas takes him to Jerusalem for the first time, three years after Paul has known Christ. Let's pick up in Galatians chapter 1, verse 18. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Kepha and remained with him 15 days. And, but I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I'm writing to you, before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They were only hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. So Paul goes up to Jerusalem. And, and, and you, you can read about this in Acts chapter 9. He goes up to Jerusalem, and the disciples, the apostles who were in Jerusalem, the ones handpicked by Jesus, they are scared to death of this guy. They want nothing to do with him. They remember how he was persecuting the church. But Barnabas, who's a Jewish leader, takes him to them. And Peter and James, the Lord's brother, and this is one of Jesus' actual brothers, who was not a believer when Jesus was alive, and who was the author of the book of James in the New Testament. James becomes a believer after his own brother is raised from the dead. And James becomes a leader of the church in Jerusalem. And so James and Peter, they meet with Paul for 15 days. But it didn't take long. As soon as Paul got to Jerusalem, he was in the temple one day. He has a vision. The angel tells him, Paul, you must go because they're going to kill you. The, the Hellenists, the Greeks who have converted to Judaism, have heard you are here. They've heard of your work in Damascus, and they're going to kill you. You must leave. So the disciples gather him together. They take him to Caesarea. They put him on a ship, and they send him back to Tarsus, his hometown, where he stays for the next 11 years. 11 years. Paul is saying, listen, my message came from Jesus. 
the apostles in Jerusalem added nothing to my gospel. It came directly from him. I was born out of time. I'm the last one you would expect to be doing this. He goes on to say in, at the beginning of chapter 2, after 14 years later, he goes up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas, and he takes Titus with him. Now, Titus was a Gentile. Titus was not a Jew. He takes Titus with him, and he went up because of a revelation, and he set before the apostles who were there, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that he proclaimed among the Gentiles. In other words, he goes up 14 years after his conversion for the first time to really tell them about the gospel message that has been revealed to him by Jesus in order to make sure that he, he, was, he was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. He was a Gentile. Yet because of the false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission for even a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me from mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Kepha and John, who seemed to be the pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave their right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles to the and they to the circumcised, only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was asked to do. He's telling them the Galatians, listen, the gospel message was directly revealed to me. I didn't get it from any man. And then he says, when I went up to Jerusalem to meet with the pillars, Kepha or Peter, James and John, I explained my message to them. They added nothing to it. They recognized the hand of God on me. And they said, all right, then you go to the uncircumcised, and I, we will go to the circumcised, and you do not have to impose on the uncircumcised the works of the Jewish law. They do not have to be circumcised. They do not have to follow the Jewish dietary laws. And it was after this that Paul goes back to Antioch with Barnabas, and he goes out on his first missionary journey. And now we come to the last point, which was the subject of our text today. When Paul comes back from his first missionary journey, Peter evidently goes up to Antioch to see what God is doing among the Gentiles. And when Peter gets to Antioch, he starts living with the Gentiles and eating with the Gentiles. Can you imagine that? Peter, for the first time in his life, is having a bacon, lettuce, and tomato sandwich. I'm just telling you, he's, he's slathering on some barbecue. You know what they're having, little baby back ribs up there. I'm just telling you. And he's like, whoa, man. I, I, you know, he, he, he's living with the Gentiles. He's eating their food, and he's like, whoa, this is good. This is good. I'm, I'm getting hungry. I'm going to Hickory River after this is done. I'm just telling you right now. But then some, somehow news gets back to, to Jerusalem that Peter's up there eating with the Gentiles. Somebody's saying Peter got off the tracks, you know, because Peter's a Jew. He's a Jew. Now, now listen to me. Listen to me. This is important because when, when Jesus lived here, what was Jesus? He was a, he was a Jew. 
right? Right? Jesus was a Jew. All of the apostles that Jesus picked were Jews. When the Holy Spirit fell on the day of Pentecost and filled the believers, they were all Jews. All And 3,000 were added to the church. They were all Jews. And so it, it seems, it seems you know, we're all in the Gentile club. We're like, what do you mean? It's no big deal for us to be accepted in there. But I'm trying to tell you, it was not easy for them. Because every indication that they had had was being a Jew and being a follower of Christ went hand in hand. You do not separate them. And not only that, but being a Jew was a way of life. I mean, when you were circumcised on the eighth day as a male, it wasn't just for hygiene purposes. It was a sign that you had literally been adopted into the people of God. It was your initiation into the covenant with God. And the dietary laws, these, these laws that were handed down in Leviticus, these weren't, just, these weren't just outward boundary markers separating them, but they became the fabric of who they were. And are you saying that, that we, no longer, we no longer have to be who we are? It was not easy. Peter's enjoying his bacon, lettuce, and tomato sandwiches. And, and James, back in Jerusalem, hears about this. And so he sends some emissaries up to Antioch to see what Peter's doing. And when they arrive, let's see what happens. Pick up with verse 11 of chapter 2. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. Kepha. When Kepha came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Kepha before all of them, he's in his face, he's calling him out. I said to Kepha before all of them, if you though a Jew live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Here's, Peter, here's, here's Paul standing in front of Kepha, Rocky. One of, one of Jesus' hand-picked disciples and saying, you're a hypocrite. And what does the word hypocrite mean? A hypocrite means that your knower and your doer don't line up. You, you, you know one thing to be the truth. You know one thing to be the case, but you do something else. Your knower and your doer don't line up. Have you ever been there before? Anybody ever not have their knower and their doer line up? Anybody who's not raising their hand needs to repent. We'll have a private session after we're done today. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and you just did it again. Na, 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 na. Yeah. I'm sorry, Britney Spears on Sunday morning just doesn't work. But, but the point was, Peter's knower and doer hadn't lined up. And here Paul says, listen, how can you do this? Peter, you know. You know. And he goes on to say this. Here's the key. We ourselves, he's still talking to Peter. We ourselves are Jews by birth. They know what that means. 
and not Gentile sinners. That's what they would have considered Gentiles or sinners. We're special. We're God's people. They are unclean. They are common. He says, yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law. We know that. Peter, you and I know that. Why can he say that to Peter? Why? Well, if you read Acts chapter 10, you find out why. Because you see, after Paul is converted, shortly thereafter, Peter goes to a town called Joppa on the Mediterranean coast. Beautiful place. He's called to go there because there's a woman named Tabitha. That's her Hebrew name. Her Greek name was Dorcas. It means gazelle. But she wasn't jumping because she had died. And Peter was called there to pray for her. So Peter goes to Joppa, and, and there are women mourning around her. She's laying on a table, and Peter empties the room, and he kneels down beside her, and he prays that God will raise her. And he says, Tabitha, arise, and she rises from the dead. And, of course, news just spreads everywhere. So Peter stays in that, that area for a little bit of time with a tanner, a leather tanner by the name of Simon. And one day about noon, when the meal was being prepared, he goes up on the roof of the house. And while he's up there, he has a vision. And the vision he has is of a sheet that's falling from heaven. And inside that sheet are the animals that he's forbidden to eat under Leviticus chapter 11. He can't eat those animals. And the voice tells him, Simon, get up and eat. Eat. And he says, I can't do that. I've never, done, I've never, never, ever, ever partaken of the unclean or the common. I've never, I cannot do that. The vision happens three times. And after the vision is done, he has a voice from the Lord, a word from the Lord that says, listen, some men are about to arrive at the gate. They're coming from a centurion named Cornelius, who the day before had had his own vision. And, 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 and they're coming from him, and you are to go with them. Now, Cornelius was a Gentile. So Peter 